I'm SP from Better Podcasting, a show dedicated to help make your podcast better. And it is part of the Get a Geek Network, just like the show you're checking out now. Shows on the network are individually owned and opinions expressed may not reflect others. Find other insightful and wonderful geeky shows at gunnageeknetwork.com. This is the official gunnageek.com show. Each week we run down the latest news and happenings in the world of geek. These are your hosts for the show, Stephen, Chris, and SP. Welcome to your first 2021 edition of the Starling Tribute. Nah, I just kidding. It's the Good Geek Show. I'm Steven, and with me, of course, is Chris Farrell. Execute Order 66. Uh, SP is here. SP is here, and SP just uh, watched a few episodes of The Clone Wars Season 6, so that uh, Order 66 is more appropriate now to me than it ever was before. For those audio listeners, Chris Farrell is in a full Star Wars attire right now. And by that, I mean he's wearing a hoodie. Uh, it's a hoodie that's both blue, purple, and pinkish red. Oh, is it's it really? color graded. Yeah, it changes color. Oh, cool. Based off of where it is on there. I like oh, it. This awesome. is disappointment in big, bold letters on the front. <laughs> it's my, it's my, I feel depressed. No, it's my, I, I like this hoodie. I don't know. <laughs> I appreciate that you purchased our new Gunna Geek Show merchandise. Or it's this disappointment. Uh, th- th- this is merch from a competing YouTube channel. So oh. uh, let's let's not go further. Oh, okay. <laughs> I was gonna say Jedi are more subdued. They're like black or dark brown or or dark green or something like that with with their capes. Well, but um, you Sidious know, just be- does like this color. Just because on the front it's labeled disappointment, I think that's perfect for anybody in the Jedi Order. <laughs> So true. And you know, so this is a good tease. We had a really interesting debate on the Gunna Geek Discord, gunnageek.com slash Discord, where we got really, and it was a good, fun, one of those nerd debates that you really like, because everyone stayed respectful and just shared ideas. And it was getting into the nature of how the Force works, then as to whether the Jedi Order was flawed, and as to whether Anakin Skywalker's point of view was correct. It was a fascinating debate we ended up having. And if you want to go check that out and or contribute to that, Feel free to go to gunnageek.com slash discord. Go to our spoiler discussions because it all came up as part of the Mandalorian season finale discussion. It's fascinating. and I would welcome additional feedback from others. Can I just say that his position was entirely correct because I don't like sand. Of course, course. it gets everywhere. Mm -hmm. Yeah. How can you argue with it? Sand sucks. All right. Well, let's go ahead and move on to the news. That was us not arguing with your statement about sand. All right, let's start it off with the Chris Farrell's news this week, because I heard that he is all about Batman. In fact, I believe Batman is is his favorite comic book character ever. Nah. It's not my favorite, but I do enjoy Batman, and I did enjoy Batman, the animated series. And there are a lot of folks who are watching this show who are close to my age, probably the same. We grew up watching Batman, the animated series, on the Fox Kids animation block. And if you were not aware, we'll, we'll pick a couple aspects to this news. First of all, if you have HBO Max right now, Batman, the animated series, just hit HBO Max. 
So you have access to the entire back catalog of those episodes, and they are fantastic, and they hold up really well. What is also really cool that came out today, and Geek Tyrant reported this based off of a scoop from Daniel Richtman on his Patreon page. I'm not one of his patrons, so I can't go read the full context of the scoop, but Geek Tyrant reports the HBO Max is looking at making a Batman the Animated Series sequel. This is just a rumor, they say, but in the past, Daniel Richtman, who did report this originally, has been spot on with a lot of his scoops as of late. So there is a chance it could be true, in fact. So why might it be true? Well, Batman voice actor Kevin Conroy, and if you're like me, it is the voice of Batman and Bruce Wayne. Anytime you consume any content you would read, you hear his voice, had said they didn't stop making the shows because the audience wasn't there or the actors weren't there. They stopped really because the creators ran out of ideas for stories. If they got ideas again, it sounds like a lot of these folks would be game to come back and reprise their roles. And remember, it's not like they stopped playing the role in 1995, 1996. No, no, no. They continued to do the roles in Justice League, in Batman Beyond, in the Batman Arkham games. Almost all of the voice cast from the cartoons returned there. So we're saying there's a chance. And I'm super excited. I love Batman the Animated Series. If they can bring back that cast the living cast, some of the uh, cast members have sadly passed away. I think it could be a lot of fun. It's a great nostalgia play for people like me who are in our mid-30s that grew up on it. But also for a younger generation who might be starting to watch this series because their parents are going, hey, I love this show and as a kid, let's watch it together. And if they do a spinoff or a sequel, I think you could have a very interested fan base. I agree. In fact, we would call it the bat base. I believe that's the official term for a bat fan base. Uh, I'll accept it. <laughs> uh, okay, uh, this is a cool idea. I think it's neat for all of the reasons you said, especially because I did watch it and I loved it. However, comma, I feel like HBO Max has apparently been looking at a lot of different things lately. It seems like we're getting these news articles left, right, and center over the last six months about HBO Max looking at different series. So. I am very concerned that we haven't seen a lot of those come to fruition yet. And there's no guarantee that this does. The thought there in my mind was I wanted to share it because, like I said, nostalgia play. But also, I want it to come true. So wish fulfillment. If I talk about it enough, maybe it comes true. All right. So, SP, what do you think of this? I know that you are a year or two older than Chris and I. Uh, well, Just what's a your couple. take? Well, like this was Chris's when he was growing up. The original 66 series was when I was growing up. So that gives you a little bit of the time differential between us. <laughs> uh, I never watched this. I do have a question, though, because we were talking a couple of weeks ago about streaming services and stuff. What we didn't cover when we were talking about that was the upfronts, you know, and like networks have upfronts and they're largely what in the March, April, maybe May time frame where the pilots get shopped around to get picked up somewhere. Well, streaming services don't necessarily have seasons that they got to fit stuff into. So I'm wondering where the upfronts are. And honestly, I have no idea. I should have done some research on this, but I don't know when the upfronts are or if they're even at the same time for streaming services. So in this particular case of HBO Max is shopping around a lot of series, they could shop around a lot of series for a while until they have their quote unquote upfronts or, or they pick up enough series so that they get into a routine at some point in time during the year that they do their upfronts where they do look at pilots and they do 
decide whether they're going to pick up a series or not. So I, I don't know any of that. Chris, do you have, you're, you're the cord cutter here. Do you have any clue about that? So, so if you look at what a lot of the streaming services have done is they don't really subscribe or follow the Hollywood schedule for, hey, here's when all the cable channels and the big uh, broadcast channels are doing their announcements. But they tend to do kind of their own events where they announce stuff that's coming out. Or if you're Netflix anymore, half the time it seems like it's just a press release because they don't need to have those kind of events. So don't be surprised if Warner puts on their own event at some point in time that says, hey, all the stuff that's coming to HBO Max that's DC related, here it is. And ideally... That would probably be around Comic-Con, if I had to guess, assuming we have something similar to Comic-Con we've had in the past, where they have a big panel on upcoming DC projects or something and announce them all there, or do something similar to what Marvel has done, or Disney rather, with the D23 event, where they just do their own day as part of D23 or do their own press announcement that's, hey, here's everything coming to Disney Plus that you want to see. Because remember, we saw in the investors call, they basically turned that into their upfronts for uh, Disney Plus. So my guess is for a lot of these streaming services, it's either they announce it as a press release because it's just part of day-to-day work or they do their own special event whenever they feel like it. All right. Well, we look forward to hearing Chris Farrell do his new Batman series podcast. I heard that's coming soon. We're living the good life on Batman nostalgia. And I'll mention this real quick because they did say today that Michael Keaton is now the definitive Batman of the DC movie universe, not Ben Affleck, meaning they're going to move forward with Michael Keaton projects potentially. So now the Internet's a buzzing and this ties us back into Batman, the animated series, because everyone's going Batman Beyond because Michael Keaton is about the same age as old Bruce Wayne from the Batman Beyond cartoon. So now everyone's going, ooh. We could get this spinoff on a passing of the torch and bring in Terry McGinnis and a bunch of these characters from Batman Beyond. That, too, could be really cool. I want this. Again, I look forward to Chris Farrell's Batman podcast. And heck, while you're at it, why don't you just make it all DC future? Because I hear you love all the DC things. It's going to be gonna bat at gonna geek. Gonna get gonna bat at gonna geek. Interesting. Mm -hmm. That's very unmarketable. No, that's what I was going for. All things, <laughs> all things good in Guana. I would, I would go with all things good and batty. That's what I'd go with. Mm, there's potential there. <laughs> all right, let's go on to the next news point here, which is not about movies or the DC what? universe. It's about Windows. There's oh, a... I don't, I don't have to care about Windows anymore, Stephen. Wait. This, actually, you know what? There's your cheese for later. There's your cheese for later. <laughs> You're welcome. Uh, all right. Here's the thing. There was a job posting on the Microsoft website that was for, quote, key platform surface and OEM partners to orchestrate and deliver sweeping visual rejuvenation of Windows experiences, end quote. The thing with this part in the job description, the sweeping visual rejuvenation got people thinking a little bit about what does this mean for the future of Windows 10? Because the posting seemed to indicate that they're looking to completely shake up the visual on Windows 10. And there might be something to this because shortly after people caught wind of this, they did remove the keywords of sweeping visual rejuvenation. So that's mm. a bit of an indication that, whoops, shouldn't have put that out there. And maybe there is some fact to that. They're essentially looking for someone, as they say, to handle 
or lead up this team, I'm presuming. But I think it's obviously going to be more than just one individual if they're looking to do this. And the reason I wanted to bring this up was because Windows 10 launched, believe it or not, in 2015. That's how long ago it was. Five years ago, Windows 10 did launch. And while there have been some changes here and there, it's mostly remained the same. I have the perfect candidate for this job listing. And I think Chris would back me up here. I would. Yeah. Felicity Smoke. She's not doing anything right now. She could. <laughs> she's dead. Tol- she, no, I mean, she's around. She's got all that experience with Surface tablets. I think this would be perfect for her. I was going to say there was lots of Surface tablets that she had because there was lots of product placement. Okay, putting that aside, what do you think of the idea of them changing the visual of Windows 10 if this went that way? So when it comes to changing up the look and feel of Windows 10, I mean, I don't know that a full overhaul is really required because who's really clamoring for a full redesign of how Windows 10 looks? I think it's perfectly serviceable. It does what I want it to, and I've finally gotten used to it and have it set up the way I want. So damn it, don't change up what I have. That being said, they probably will. We've seen this happen before, and they'll probably take it a step too far and have to undo it. Windows 8, anyone? Remember, followed up by Windows 8.1, where they realized, oh, crap, we went too far in what we did. So while I'm sure they're going to make some kinds of changes, uh, all joking aside, I don't know that it's going to be a revolutionary overhaul of the look and feel of Windows. Because if there's one thing that we've learned when it comes to the look and feel of browsers and OSs and things like that, it's you can't make it so different that people look at it and go, I don't know what the hell I'm doing anymore especially when you've pivoted Windows to a service. And it's not like someone can be like, well, I'm not. I'm just not going to upgrade. No, you're going to have to upgrade. It's going to make you. And then you're going to be lost. You're going to be cranky. And you're going to be like, the hell with Windows. I'm putting on Linux or I'm going to Mac or I'm going to Chrome OS or something like that because there's other options out there anymore. Now, it's not necessarily the case when it comes to business because everyone has business licenses for Windows and Office and things like that. But when it comes to personal use, I think that might be where you take a hit, but at the same time, that's also not where the money is. So I'm hoping that they don't go hog wild and redesign things, or if they do, they make it so I can still use the current look. Maybe they'll make it more like Windows XP, and that'll make it an easier migration for all of those corporations out there still running Windows XP. Well, here's the thing, though. How different (sighs) is Windows 10's look and feel from Windows XP? All joking aside. It's not that different, but they did put some other nice touches in there, like the ability to have multiple workspaces and the way they structure things in the start bar. That Those are all enhancements that make sense. You could go from Windows XP and go to Windows 10, and it wouldn't be a complete loss. Now, let's be honest. Windows XP is also, what, 30 years old at this point in time? <laughs> yeah. So it's going to be a bit of a culture shock, but it wouldn't be completely different. It's not like going from Windows XP to Windows 8. Remember what that felt like? So Windows XP initial release date was 2001, so 20 years. Okay, so 20 years at this point. So here's what I'm thinking here, seriously. And for those that didn't get the joke, Felicity Smoke was a character on Arrow. It's a pod, Arrow is a show that Chris and I podcasted on for years, and it's now defunct. But here's what I'm thinking. Windows 10 was launched in 2015. If they're just starting or in the middle of their project to do the next generation Windows 10, you're probably looking at like 2025, 2030 that things will be in service for for this next generation of stuff. What I think needs to happen, and Microsoft could embrace this or not, is that they need to go virtual in their visualization because more and more people will start 
to do visual things in, in the virtual environment. And then eventually maybe that virtual environment is just the environment without the virtual. It's just the thing that you see in the movies and TV where it's just in front of you. And it really does become 3D windows into applications that people are actually using. And I think they need to start pivoting to that. Now, you're not going to be able to completely pivot over to that because you're going to be dealing with a lot of people with 2D surfaces, whether it is a tablet or a computer screen or whatever. But I, I think if they want to grab a hold of the future and bring their product into that future, they're going to have to embrace the virtual environment. I disagree. VR is not the future. VR is an interesting novelty right now, but it's not like we're going to be at a point where everyone has a VR headset on their desk and they plug in to do their work that way. Besides, everybody knows that it's the microchipping that Bill Gates is doing that's going to give us that interface. When we get our vaccines. That's, that's what oh, it all is. Yeah. It's going to give us that direct mind link to Windows. That's what it is. So, so while I think that would be interesting to Windows to pivot heavy into VR, I just, I see the potential applications there if you were talking about wanting to leverage gaming and things like that. But we, we've been through how many iterations of VR is going to be the future in the past since 1980. I mean, this is what the third or fourth iteration where it's VR is going to be the thing. And it kind of gets popular for a few years and everyone goes, oh, wait, it's cost prohibitive and it's really not that great yet. And we kind of punt a little bit more. I think we're going to get to a point and this. would Well, if I want to dream, we get to the point of having the Tony Stark displays, which is the holographic crap that hovers in midair. That would be awesome. And, that, and that's what make, I'm talking about. Yeah. <laughs> But you have to start making those transitions now. I'm not saying go full into it. I'm saying make it compatible with it. So you have that 3D visualization of the space and you're able to operate that way. Because I think it is going to happen. I think in the, in the service life of this next iteration, you're going to have that become a little bit more mainstream in the work environment. I don't think it's going to be in the next iteration of Windows. I think we're two or three iterations out if we're going there. All I know is that you can swipe right very subtly on a phone. But if it was a big in-person interface, everyone sees you swiping right. It's a huge hand gesture. Swipe. Oh, you, you need two different ways of doing it. You also need to be able to have, God, I can't believe I'm going to say this, the Google Glass-like experience, <laughs> which is it projects something that only you can see. Not necessarily yeah. Google Glass to do it, but a Google Glass-like experience that could do that if you're going to right. do that. And again, it Google Glass matter. was a joke. It doesn't matter how it happens as long as the visualization is there for you to see. You can't build the stuff until you have the hardware that's going to be able to do it and have an idea of how it's going to work and figure out the limitations are associated with the hardware, though. I, I honestly don't really know what to think uh, at this point of this whole conversation because... We have seen some pretty rapid changes with some of these interfaces and things like that just pick up. But then we've seen other things stall, like you said, the Google Glass. So I don't know. It's a coin flip for me of, of where I could see that potential interface going, because I think there's evidence to support both sides of it. So I don't know. Uh, I'll let you two fight it out and tell me which side I should agree on. I'll be dead by the time I figure it out. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that got dark real quick. 
All right. Well, it's, anyways, let's move on to the next thing here, which is Battle of the Mega Rockets. I heard this is a new show coming to Discovery. Is that right? It should be Discovery Plus, their new streaming platform, which we're not going to talk about on this podcast, but you should probably go check it out because it's got the deadliest catch on it. Anyway, I've been talking along the way here of the development of the next generation of space exploration vehicles and the rockets to get there. The two big contenders for the United States right now are Super Heavy, which is the rocket portion of the Starship booster that SpaceX is making and NASA's SLS or the um, Space Launch System. That's what it's called, SLS Space Launch System that they're developing. They're both under development right now. Neither exists. We don't have the Apollo rocket right now. So both of those are kind of, I want to say it's in a competing thing, but it's not really competing. They're both for two separate purposes, SpaceX for the commercial launch and SLS for government purpose launches. So in the span, since we got together last time, there's been a couple of big developments on both fronts. Now we're going to start with SpaceX and its plans to land the Super Heavy. This was just a couple of days ago. Now Super Heavy, like I said, is the booster that will propel SpaceX's Starship into orbit. Now Super Heavy is currently under development as is Starship, which will carry humans to Mars. This past week, Super Heavy gained a new proposed wrinkle which we'll call on this show, Catch and Release. Elon Musk said in a tweet on December 30th that, quote, we're going to try to catch the super heavy booster with the launch tower arm using the grid fins to take the load, unquote. There was a video accompanying the tweet, and honestly, I don't think the video did his concept any justice. I don't think it really depicted what they were trying to get at other than the booster coming down to the actual launch pad. Now, Elon went on to tweet, quote, saves mass and cost of legs and enables immediate repositioning a booster onto launch mount, dash, ready to refly in under an hour, unquote. Damn. And, and in a, another tweet, Musk continued, quote, legs would certainly work, but best part is no part. Best step is no step. Unquote. So basically what he's saying here is he needs to save mass on his system in order to get the more most boost up to orbit. You mean the less everything weighs, the more that you can actually get into space. These rockets aren't revolutionary. ISP or the specific impulse of the rocket motors hasn't really changed all that much. You're seeing some phenomenal technology development with the ability to reuse these rockets that SpaceX has, but there hasn't been an improvement of the efficiency of the rocket engine. So you still need all that mass of fuel in order to propel the mass that you need up into orbit, mass being the weight of like 100 people on Starship to go to Mars or that sort of thing. So I'm taking a look at this. I actually looked at several different other concepts out there that this big rocket body, which is in a sense like the first stage of the Apollo rocket coming back down to the pad. And then the, you can think of the big arm that was alongside the Apollo rocket. It's got a big collar on it and that rocket's going to come down into that collar and immediately capture and then just be able to be refueled and then reused when you put another starship on top of it. That's his concept. Now, I don't know how 
feasible this all is, but this is an amazing leap in technology if he can get it to work. And we've already seen he's okay with losing a couple of birds in the process of, of making it work. So there's going to be some fantastic explosions <laughs> along the line here. And I think he's going to go ahead and do something like this. I don't know if the concept is going to stay or not, but this, this is pretty neat. I love the concept. I think that it makes a lot of sense for a lot of different reasons. But I feel like the different landings on the whatever barge, what's it, the drone ship, it's been a lot of hit and miss. Uh, the track record's getting better, but it's still, if you look at, at all of it, there's been a lot of failures. That's out away from a bunch of things. This is like right upside something, you know, grabbing it. Like, I don't know. It's It seems like a, a bit of a stretch right now with their track record. But I look forward Even to the explosions while they get they they hone it in. <laughs> Even the fairings as they catch it, like on the Falcon Nine, uh, the the launches and, the, and they're catching the fairings so they can reuse them. That's great that they're reusing them, but they fall down to Earth and then a ship has to literally catch it in a big web, and it's it's like a big glove, a big baseball glove, a ship size baseball glove, basically that this fairing two sides of the fairing basically are coming down to. And that is not as precise as this. Now they can get more precise with the rockets because they're still going to have the control fins. Right. On. It's not going to be just a, a rocket body coming down, but yeah, it, this, this is a whole level of difficulty worse. Plus it's a lot bigger. So you have a lot more, possibly rocket fuel that's left in the tank. So if it does go badly, it's going to be a big effing explosion. Chris Farrell, I feel like you've got something you want to say about this. Boom. <laughs> <laughs> I think we're going to see a big boom. Yeah. Jamie so want big boom. <laughs> Let me paraphrase that and redo it. Chris want big boom. <laughs> <laughs> well, talking about big booms, we got to go on to the next half of this. NASA SLS resumes testing of their version of their rocket. Now, NASA's SLS is the United States government version of the SpaceX Super Heavy slash Starship combo, or its next generation of the now defunct Apollo rocket is going to be the biggest rocket ever to lift off from the Earth successfully, because the biggest rocket right now was a Soviet design. And it was their moon rocket, but that never worked. So if this works, it will be bigger than Apollo. So it would be the biggest ship ever. Now, green run, quote unquote, green run tests on the new SLS mega rocket, which is scheduled for its debut launch in November 2021. I don't know if we've mentioned that on the show before or not, but SLS is scheduled to have its first launch in November 2021. So the tests are moving forward again after problems with ground equipment earlier this month which is December, by the way. And that pushed the testing behind and NASA, NASA announced on Thursday, December 17th. The rocket itself is fine, but temperature issues associated with ground equipment to fuel the tank had stalled the seventh of eight quote-unquote wet dress rehearsal exercises at NASA's Stennis Space Center in Mississippi. The SLS being tested right now is supposed to be launching in Orion spacecraft on a round the moon on crew trip in late 2021, but the testing needs to be done soon to complete the final shipment to Florida and construction to meet that flight date. The mission called Artemis one must be completed before the crewed Artemis two 
moon orbit mission flies for its expected 2023 date in a reprisal of Apollo 8. And NASA lands people on the moon during Artemis 3 by its deadline of 2024. With the new administration coming in with Biden as the president, it is doubtful that NASA will be kept to that 2024 date, but it really depends on what the Biden administration wants to do. In any event, if you guys have not seen this massive rocket test stand, you got to look it up. It is incredible the amount of force that it has to contain with these new rocket engines. I've actually been there. I've been to another rocket test site in Tennessee, and these places, they rock and roll. And they're in the middle of nowhere. And they're in the middle of nowhere for a reason in case something explodes. They want to be able to isolate everything. And they're usually around a big body of water that they can use to siphon water up to cool the test, first of all, and then second of all, if something goes wrong so that they can hose it down as much as they can without destroying the countryside around it. So SLS is moving forward with its tests. Super Heavy apparently is going through a major design change. There is some exciting stuff going on in the biggest rockets this planet has seen. All right. So if you were a betting man, which one would you bet on? Just because Elon Musk is not afraid of the risk of loss, as you heard, Artemis has three shots to get to the moon in 2024, so they need them all to go right, and they're not all going to go right. I think Elon has the right mindset of, I'm going to lose a few of these. It's going to be okay as long as you know the humans are safe. It's going to be okay to lose a couple of these, and we're going to eventually recoup and be able to get back up, just like the SN8. Uh, they've recouped from that. They're getting ready for an SN9 test pretty soon here. Uh, but Elon Musk has also said that he doesn't know how he's going to f- totally fix the problem long term that they ran into with SN8. Yet they haven't decided on what they're going to do to fix the problem. But I think Elon's got the right mindset. He's got the right funding profile and he's got the right people that are willing to take risks as long as there's no danger to humans. So, yeah, if I had to bet, I'd say Elon has the first thing. Now, I don't know if Elon's going to go to the moon. I think Elon's got his mindset on going to Mars. He might do a round-the-moon trip like he has already planned to do with the Japanese investor. But I I think after that, he's not going to land on the moon. He's going to go to Mars. Him personally. He has said that he wants to go. I don't know. I don't think he'll be on the first one just because if he's there, then he can't control his empire here to make more rockets and stuff. But I think eventually he'll go. With a return trip or no return trip? I personally think that any trip to Mars is a one-way trip for a lot of different reasons. I think there's health reasons involved. You've got cosmic radiation. But I also think it's a long trip to come back. I mean, I know that's the plan. Is It's to do like a Christopher Columbus sort of thing or, or a, you know, a, a Viking thing. And you go to the New World and you spend uh, a winter there, you hunker down, and then you take the trade winds on back. So it could be that there's two ways to do the Mars trip. You could go out and spend like a month at Mars and then come back right away. And that's your launch windows. Or you could go out, spend a year there, and then come back. And I think if you're going to spend a year, you might as well not come back. But what about the cryogenically frozen aspect of it? Because that's going to be a thing somehow to help the trip go better. Well, that's why Disney's bringing back Boba Fett so that the carbonite freezing 
technology can come in and make that happen. Perfect. I just figured they were thawing Walt out to go. Yeah. I thought that's where he was going when he brought up Disney. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you know what, though? This is some interesting news over the last couple of weeks to do with space. And I know there was more stuff that came up, too. But uh, I really like the progress we continue to see in the world of space. Lots of good things happening there. Moving on to the extra extra, let's kick it all off with Chris Farrell. He wants to make people angry. Yeah, so I still don't understand what Quibi was supposed to be. And it was uh, Jeffrey Katzenberg and Mae Whitman trying to make super short form content that you'd only watch on your phone. They had a bunch of people sign up for the free trial, then no one kept it. And I think it was October that Quibi went out of business. I still, again, don't understand what all they had. But evidently, uh, Roku is trying to acquire the rights to their content library. The report that the Wall Street Journal ran doesn't indicate any potential price, but it notes that a deal may happen. What does this mean? It would mean that the Roku channel that's on every single Roku would then have exclusive access to Quibi's slate of programming. Now, uh, where I found this article on The Verge, they note none of Quibi's shows ever really took off, but Roku might think that the content would stand a better chance when available on their devices since it is still the best-selling streaming device in the United States. Again, Quibi's been dead since October. I never understood it, and I really don't know what their content is, but good for Roku, I guess, for trying to buy a bunch of dead content? I think we're at a hinge point with all these streaming devices on what is going to be the streaming device for the next 10 years, if there is a streaming device for the next 10 years, right? Roku was there, Fire Stick was there. You got the Android streaming stuff out there uh, you have the game consoles so i i think streaming devices are going to be the way of the future uh, we've had the debate before on whether streaming through your tv is good or not and i i personally don't think it's good because you're locked into something probably for longer than it's going to work on the tv because you're going to have the tv longer than you're going to have the the streaming device but in any event roku's kind of been struggling lately because they don't have the big company behind it they don't have like amazon with fire tv they don't have the prime streaming service or Apple TV has now come up with the Apple TV plus it's just a different thing that they've got going. And I do like their devices. They're incredibly capable devices with 4k and and with the uh, sound uh, capability coming through, whether it works or not on on the streaming channels really depends on uh, the options available, but they don't really, I mean, I know they have some stuff, but I can't point to one thing and I go, oh yeah, that's Roku right there. That's something that I got to have a Roku to watch because they're, they're more ubiquitous. They're, they're more like, yeah, we, we want everything to come on our stuff. And I know there was the big deal with HBO max that they just got solved, like right before wonder woman came out. But I think that they really need to get a hold of some premium streaming content that they can offer for people then to migrate to have to have a Roku device or that Roku enters into reciprocal agreements with other companies that have streaming devices so that they can work and play together like the other companies have done. So I, I think Roku's got a, they're behind the eight ball here basically, and, and they got to start making some moves. I'm not sure Quibi is the move that they need to make. I think that this is diversifying their portfolio, maybe. maybe I don't know. Plus, they know that Chris Farrell loves Quibi, so that's why they did it. Oh, yeah, it's my favorite. It's a target for Chris. Uh, speaking of crappy content, uh, let's talk about Wonder Woman 1984. Oh, whoa. 
That's not <laughs> nice. Send your hate mail to js at gunnageek.com. That's uh, js, as in Jean-Sebastien, at gunnageek.com. So, I think we can all agree. One would say that content that you consume and you get no, you, you're left feeling there's no entertainment value is crappy content. And that's why I'm calling it crappy content because I have not watched Wonder Woman yet because of the <laughs> fact that in Canada, nobody got that little premium free model that HBO Max had. In Canada, I wanted to bring this up today. Wonder Woman came and went and it only came out as a $29.99 rental that's how it was distributed so, in canada there so you all... want a remote you want a remote desktop into my computer and stream it <laughs> baby uh all, <laughs> all of the major players you can rent it from up in canada but if you have hbo max well not hbo max but the hbo subscription on crave or wherever else don't worry you weren't getting it in canada either seriously nobody got it for free as an offering in canada and i wanted to bring that up right now because I have heard mixed things about it. And I and the thing is, it launched in Canada a little bit later. Because when did it come out in the States? It was December. Christmas. Christmas Day. Was it Christmas Day? I thought it came out. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Mm-mm. Okay. Which is December for the rest of the world. It's December 25th. Okay. It's, then yeah. I don't, don't think it was later. But in any case, the reviews, I guess, must have been out a little early. Because by the time I had the option to pay the $29.99, I had read enough things that said, okay, I will wait until it's available on a streaming platform elsewhere. So I don't know. $29.99 uh, is a lot of money to to see whether I agree with the negative reviews or not. So at this point, I'll be waiting or remoting into Chris's computer. I've actually seen it. So I'm going to speak from that standpoint. But I'm also going to speak for the standpoint that I have not rented any new releases that have come out this year at all. I kind of refuse to pay it and I've got plenty of content that I'm behind on. So it's not like I have to rush out and get anything. And it's not like there was a big release that I was podcasting on that I would have to go ahead and rent something for. Uh, so that said, I don't know if I would have rented Wonder Woman 84 if it was in this particular case either. I haven't cut the cord yet, and I do have HBO as a premium channel. So I have inherently HBO Max access. So I, I was able to watch Wonder Woman 84 that way. That said, I'm I'm going to stay spoiler free here. It wasn't the big, huge Christmas blockbuster that I have seen in other years. Like you have a big Avengers movie, a big Star Wars movie, you have Lord of the Rings, you have a big epic movie. They tried their best. Wonder Woman 84 just wasn't it. It was a it was a fun movie for me. It just wasn't the epic blockbuster. And even though I do have the nice home theater to watch it and everything and and that's the way I want to consume movies in the future if I had to pay 29.99 American for it I don't know if I, I don't think I would have paid for it. I would have just waited I don't know nine months 12 months whatever until I could have streamed it somewhere because you know eventually they're going to stream it somewhere you just don't know where that's going to be or when you know you have a 30-day window which is why I did watch it because I only have a 30-day window before it leaves HBO Max so I, I watched it and okay, I'm um, move on with my life. And that's my spoiler-free review and the application to uh, your unfortunate 
situation where you did not have that opportunity up in Canada. It does what Warner wants, which is get people to buy HBO Max. And we talked about it when they announced the entire 2021 slate of Warner movies was coming to HBO Max for the first 30 days this year. This is all part of the plan to be like, hey, I'm going to slap down my X amount per month or X amount per year to get HBO Max. And since HBO Max is only available in the United States at this point in time, as far as I recall, that's their only target. And that's been the problem with Wonder Woman 1984 in general. Steven touched on it. There's some folks I follow on Twitter who I'd like to talk movies with that live in the United Kingdom. Their option is go to the theaters. And I think it is now available for them to digitally rent. But that didn't happen until like very soon before release that it was announced that was going to happen. So they were all sitting there. I was like, oh, this is just a big giant F you to us. It's we can go see the movie if you want to go to theater. But they literally just locked down the country again. So I can't go to a theater. So what am I supposed to do? Uh, In the chat, Kent had said not in theaters, question mark. And so I took a look uh, because honestly, I haven't followed the status of theaters being opened or not open because I won't be going for a long time. And currently in my province, it appears that theaters are not open. Um, But if there was an open theater, it was distributed to Canadian theaters. But I looked at the major uh, theater chain Cineplex's available theaters and the list that is usually many, many pages long across Canada to search through their different theaters is a very small listing. So there's very few theaters, it appears, open in Canada. So the lesson learned for Warner here is if they want to follow this model for this year, they need to try and make a way or find a way to make it easier for people outside the United States to get this content because they need to have some kind of analogous subscription service or something like that allows content to Warner content and then these movies when they come out because I don't think there's a lot of people that are going to be willing to pay the 30 bucks to watch Space Jam when that comes out for instance as a digital rental versus just waiting for it to hit some other streaming platform in three months after it comes out or something like that. Wonder Woman 1984, yeah, there might have been, there was probably more opportunity that people abroad are like, yeah, I want to see that movie. I really like the first Wonder Woman. I'll throw down my 30 bucks for a rental. But some of these other things that we talked about in the Warner 2021 release slate, yeah, it's a hard sell to make. I'm paying 30 bucks to rent this. And, and like I said before, like I, I don't think 30 bucks is necessarily a bad price when you're looking at a family, but you need to have that pull mm-hmm. for the family. And like my family, the only real interested in this was me. So like, right. you know. So that's a really expensive ticket you're getting. Right. So that's yeah. why I didn't do it. I mean, I had people in, in the house of the girls and uh, the fiance now, uh, they were they were all interested in it. And if I didn't have it available, they would have probably bought it and streamed it. But I wasn't going to pay for it, even with four of us watching, because I just it, it wasn't worth the $30 for me. And, and like I said, if it was a different blockbuster movie, epic, maybe. And I know they tried their best to make it epic. And I know I've already said that, but it just, it just wasn't for me. All right. Well, I look forward at some point talking to you more about this movie, which I was joking when I called it whatever I said. I crap work. I, I don't know. I genuinely don't know. I was just taking the cheap shot because I didn't watch it. And I didn't like that you guys got it for free in the States. You guys are always waving that I, American flag. You're I gave you a solution. It. It's not free. I mean, it did come at a cost. It's true. 
It's part of my subscription, which is coming out of my cell phone plan. But Stephen, we gave you a solution, which is your remote desktop into my computer and just go to hbomax.com and hit the play button on it and you're good to go. All right. Well, I, I do look forward to seeing it at some point, though, even though reviews have not been favorable. I do still look forward to seeing it. Uh, all kidding aside. Credit to them real quick. The day it released, they updated the HBO Max on Android TV, at least, so that it could support 4K HDR Dolby Atmos. And the only thing on there that supports that right now, Wonder Woman 1984. <laughs> it was pretty sweet watching it in 4K with all the, the high-end sound. Of course, when they put that update out, they broke 5.1 surround sound on everything else. So everything else was coming in 2.0 stereo. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't watched anything else, so no big deal for me. All right, Christmas has come and gone. The holiday season has come and gone, and we had a little bit of geeky fun over the holidays, and we thought we'd take a few minutes today to talk about some of the things that we did, things that we got that were geeky, and it's not a review, it's just a little bit of a an opportunity for us to include you in the last couple of weeks that we had since you got your Chris and SP fix. I know, I'm a secondary addition to that. Secondary? Yeah. <laughs> well, let's go ahead and start with Chris Farrell. Chris Farrell. Oh, we're starting with let's me. Let's start with you. What did you get up to this past holiday season here? So I didn't get into much because I was being pretty lazy during this time frame. So a lot of it consisted of I watched some TV, played some video games, and played around with some new tech. So let's start with the TV shows, which is I finished The Mandalorian Season 2. Talked about it a lot on the Gonna Geek Discord with folks. And please, I do encourage you, if you want to talk Mando spoilers, head on over to gonnageek.com slash discord and go to the spoiler discussions thread where it's been pretty full. I also watched the uh, Disney Gallery episode about season two of The Mandalorian and then got really bummed out when I realized it was only one episode when last season we got eight episodes of Disney Gallery for season one of The Mandalorian. So I was really kind of bummed. I was like, man, I wanted so much more. I didn't know that was out and I didn't know they were only doing one episode. I didn't either until I watched it. I'm like, they just talked about the whole season in 50 minutes. I guess there's no more of these. <laughs> so, yeah. It was really fun. It was really a good, good watch, and I really enjoyed the parts with Bryce Dallas Howard again, and I look forward to her getting to direct more in the Star Wars universe because she gets it, and it's really fun to see. Really fun indeed. Other stuff I was watching on HBO Max, I continue to watch Young Justice, which is one of my uh, favorite cartoon series that came out. I'm almost finished with season three. It is phenomenal. They have pulled in pretty much all of the DC Universe streaming content, which means Titans is on there and other things. I've been told I should watch Titans. I'm probably going to watch it, but I'm probably going to cringe because of how edgy they tried to be in the very beginning, but I'm told it gets to be rather good. On Netflix, I powered through and watched four seasons of a show that's from Steven's Neck of the Woods, broadcasts on the CBC. I watched all four seasons of Kim's Convenience. Over my head. So uh, for those that aren't aware, it's a show that I had only heard about originally when uh, Sima Liu was cast as a uh, Shang-Chi for the Iron for the Shang-Chi movie because he plays one of the title characters in it. And then on my Twitter feed, there were a bunch of folks that were talking about how funny it was. So I went and watched all four seasons of it. And the concept is it's about a Korean Canadian family that immigrants to Canada. 
And uh, the mother and father pretty much own a convenience store and are trying to give their children a better life. The one child is 26 years old and out of the house and their other daughter is going to photography school. And it's just enjoyable. I, I really enjoyed it. It doesn't have a ton of laugh out loud, uh, suck, uh, grab your sides because they hurt so much moments, but there's a lot of chuckles and good laughs and you like the characters as they're introduced to you. So it's really easy to marathon and power through. I watched all four seasons in like three days and it was like 13 episodes a season and it's 22 minutes a pop. And I think season five starts this month on the CBC, which I'll have to wait until it hits Netflix for me to be able to watch. Pop quiz time. Do you know what CBC stands for? Canadian Broadcasting something? Corporation. So Corporation. close. So close. Damn. Damn. Okay, I was I was close, though. So I really enjoyed it. Uh, I was hoping Steven might know the show since it was from his neck of the woods, but I understand why he wouldn't because that's like him saying, you should know Keeping Up with the Kardashians because it's made in the United States. So it's really not fair for me to have that assumption. I, I talk realize. to him all the time about sailing YouTube channels that are taking place literally <laughs> 10 miles from his house, and he doesn't know what I'm talking about. That's fair. And in all, all fairness as well, Chris, you have clearly not heard a recent episode of Better Podcasting because we have changed formats to be about keeping up with the Kardashians. That's what we switched oh. to over there. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. I really am. Uh, one other I thing that I... <laughs> <laughs> quit. That's it. I'm done. He's out. One other thing that I just heard about that went to HBO Max. So I've only watched like the first episode, but I'm really keen to watch the rest of the uh, two seasons that are out, and it's probably only two seasons, even though they're trying to get a third. It is a show called Warrior that was originally on Cinemax. And I didn't know a ton about it until I saw a tweet from Justin Lin on Twitter. Justin Lin, the director of Star Trek Beyond, Fast and Furious movies, did one of the paintball episodes of Community. So for those that aren't familiar, and I pulled this directly from the Wikipedia, Warrior is an American action drama series, which is executive produced by Shannon Lee and Justin Lin. Shannon Lee, who is a descendant and ancestor of Bruce Lee, one of the uh, greatest martial artists we've ever seen on screen, I would argue, started in April 2019 on Cinemax. It's based on the original concept treatment that was originally written up by Bruce Lee and considered the first martial arts drama produced by Cinemax. So it is a martial arts based show written up based off of notes and a treatment that Bruce Lee developed produced by I think it's his it's either his granddaughter or his daughter. I'm probably screwing that up. But the fight scenes were really cool. When I looked at it online, I went, I'm going to watch this. And it's all on HBO Max because it was on Cinemax. And they're all one and the same, I guess. So, yeah, uh, it's really cool. I would strongly encourage anyone to check it out, especially if they enjoy martial arts, action movies, and things like that. I've had a blast with it so far. That's what I watched. What did I play? Cyberpunk 2077. Put 68 hours in before I finally beat the game. That's a lot of time. The game came out like, a week before we took our week off. So it's only been out like two, three weeks right now. And I think it was last Friday is when I wrapped it up. So 68 hours to do the main storyline and what I would consider the essential side quests. And you played that on your PS4, right? I played that on my Xbox series X. So I did not have as many of the issues that folks had reported online as seen on Xbox ones and PS fours. That being said, I did have, a bunch of bugs and issues. It did crash the game. I think four or five different times I ran into a crash. There were a couple different times where I couldn't get it to trigger an event. So I had to reload my last save. If you're going to play it now, know that it is a buggy game and you should save a lot so that you can reload your saves in the event something goes wrong. 
They are putting out a bunch of patches. There was one that came out already. There's supposed to be a major patch in January and February each. It's supposed to fix a lot of things and their first free DLC coming out sometime in early 2021. So they are working to fix the game. It is, however, when it breaks, it breaks pretty hard. And it, like I said on this show, it probably needed at least another six months to bake before it was ready. So it is disappointing. I am not part of the quote unquote pissed off gamer community that's out there because I didn't refund. I didn't get a refund on my game and I'm not angry that I paid for it and played it. I enjoyed it for what it is. Did it live up to all the promises they said it would? No, but it was still fun. And I still feel like I got my 60 bucks worth of fun out of the game. And I will go back and replay it probably six, eight months from now when they put out the next gen update for the Xbox Series X slash PS5 and have a bunch of DLC and patches in place. And it'll probably feel like a different game than when I do my replay. When I finished playing that, went to Watch Dogs Legion on my Xbox Series X. It is a game that I had stopped playing because they were also bugged. And that bug was you would lose your save game and it would potentially lose hours of progress. I lost like six hours of progress. I rage quit and said, I'm not playing this game until they patch it. They didn't put that patch on there until two days before Cyberpunk 2077 came out that would stop it from eating my save game. And here's the kicker on that game. It just auto saves for you. You can't tell it when to save. So if it eats your save, you're just hosed. I I rage quit it. You know, it's not like people want to make progress in a game or something like that. I got really mad because I lost like six to eight hours of progress. I'd done a lot of stuff. I'd recruited three really good members of my team and I lost all of that. And I was right back before a mission that was really hard to complete. And I went, no, I'm done with this. And I have not touched, I had not touched the game rather since like mid-November when that happened. I said, no, I'm out. And I took the disc out and hadn't put it back in since. It is fixed and working now, but it was annoying as hell. And it was even more annoying when they put a patch out for PC that allowed PC gamers to trigger a save whenever they wanted, but they didn't do it for the console gamers. Sorry, right, Chris, we know you'll be back when you get bored this winter and you need something to do and there's nothing else to do. We know you'll be back to it. Well, I mean, I've also got Xbox Game Pass, so I'm not really lacking for any options of games to play right now. So if it runs into another issue like that where I start losing my save game, it's just a matter of I'm done until they patch it again because that is an unacceptable issue. Say Cyberpunk had issues, but I never ran into an issue where it corrupted my save game and I lost hours of progress because... It's rage-inducing. It really is. I'm hearing a lot of aggression from your voice and the use of rage. How do you feel about that? I was angry about it. Now I'm just kind of whatever because I can play the game again. Chris but you're Smash. always Yeah, you're always angry. And that's my secret, Cap. I'm always <laughs> angry. All right. What else happened during your holiday season? So Steven knows about this one, and if you are on the Gonna Geek Discord, you may also know because I was sharing it in the tech uh, channel on there. This was my gift to myself. I bought myself a new laptop computer because the price was too good to beat. I have an M1 MacBook Air, the baseline edition, 256 gigs of storage, 8 gigs of RAM. I did want it in space gray, but I got it in silver, and let me explain why. The deal was too good. Best Buy has open box discounts all the time for things that are returned within their return window, things like that. And I was just kind of perusing the website off and on. I would check it a couple every couple hours just to see what they had in the used section. It always seemed like most of them were around $910 for what I would deem something I was willing to buy, which is an excellent quality. 
Well, I got really lucky. I logged on one time and saw the laptop I ended up buying, the 256 gig, 8 gigs of RAM for $749 for a Best Buy open box rated excellent laptop. I pushed the buy button immediately and it got here eventually. United States Postal Service really screwed me on this one. It bounced back and forth between two different distribution hubs in Pittsburgh for like three days before it got here. And it really annoyed me because I paid the extra money shipping wise so I would get it before Christmas. Otherwise, I wasn't going to get it till like the 29th of December. So it got here eventually. And when I opened the box, it was pristine. Not a scratch on the chassis at all. I could tell that it had been used before because the wrapper was off the laptop itself and the wrapper was off the USB-C power adapter and the power adapter coil cable rather wasn't coiled as nicely as you would get in the Apple box. Yeah. So uh, yeah, I ended up getting that MacBook M1. I won't go into everything I wrote in these notes, but the one thing I will say before I uh, pivot off and say that's a future segment coming on this, it's no joke. The battery life on these M1 Macs is insane for a laptop. And the nice trade-off is when you unplug the laptop, It still runs at the same power as it does when it's plugged in, unlike Windows laptops, which go to a power saving mode. You then have to toggle it back up to full performance. I've been very, very impressed with the battery life I've received on this one. Just to give an example of something I did, I took my entire workflow for the last episode we did of All Things Good and Nerdy this year. I took a copy of the video on Twitch that I use for things, put it on a thumb drive, loaded it up on the M1 MacBook Air, did my light edits of ATGN like I do, cut out some of the things I have in my notes, do the uh, cut out silent periods of silence and do my leveling and things like that. Over about 45 minute window, I did all that. Exported to an MP3, I lost 1% of my battery. If that, it was still at 100% when I finished that. And probably about five minutes after that, it dropped down to 99% when I was doing other things. So 45 minutes of work, playing audio through the speakers, running GMAX, different plugins, things like that, 1% of my battery use. Uh, For another example of what I did to stress it, I took the video that I had recorded locally, imported it into iMovie because I'm not paying for Final Cut Pro, but iMovie's on there for free, did their audio auto, auto leveling on it, did the color adjustment to fix the color palette on things, exported it as a high quality 1080p video, roughly a two hour long video, took about 10 minutes to render and I lost 10% of my battery life to render this video out that ended up being like 12 gigs when it was all said and done. So 10% unplugged, just sitting in my recliner to do this. (laughs) It was really interesting and I'm very impressed with where they're going with the M1 Mac and Windows on ARM seems to have a way to go. Chris, I have two questions for you. First of all, 13-inch screen. Was it too small for you, especially when you're doing video editing? No, not terrible. Uh, Because it's the retina display, so it's high resolution. So while it's small, you still got space. How would you compare it to your uh, iPad? Because you have a big iPad, right? I do have the 11-inch iPad. And the screen sizes are roughly similar, I guess. But iPad has a different workflow than laptops have had for me. So I don't really treat them the same. I've had a keyboard on my iPad before and I hated the experience because it just didn't feel right and I couldn't do what I wanted. This is a full-blown laptop. So I I don't hate that experience. And yes, there is mouse and keyboard support in iOS, but it's kind of hinky every time I've tried it. So you're obviously going to talk about this in the future, but I do have one last question for you. You said you got it and some of the things were out of their cellophane. Did you 
actually disinfect those because you know that Steven had it before you did and he licked every bit of it. I did. That's fine because I licked it as soon as I got it. Perfect. (laughs) (laughs) I have to say, uh, Chris was keeping me informed and I was really interested to hear what his experiences were because um, all kidding aside, you know, I I often play up the anti-Apple card here. Uh, I am legitimately interested in what Apple is doing because I've said it before and and I've meant it every time I've said it. When Apple does something, eh, the industry has a way of following, even if they're not the first. And sometimes they do a really great job. Sometimes they don't. And this is an example of where they've done a really good job. And I think it's good because I kind of ranted a little bit about this when I did my whole computer upgrade in the summer, which was that processor manufacturers have really gotten lazy in recent. And Intel's a great example of that. Now, I never, I don't think I on this show specifically spelled this out, but Intel fell behind the curve of AMD in many, many processors because they just got in the rut. They did what they did, and then AMD came up with something new, and they went, hey, look, we destroyed you. And Intel's like, all right, here's a couple generations of crap. And this is what we're seeing in like the ARM side of things is there's not been a lot of progress. So the M1 coming in here, I think, is good for everybody because it sounds like they've knocked it out of the park. And I think that it's good when someone raises that bar. So this is awesome, even if you're not a Mac user and you have no intention of being a Mac user. But even if you aren't a Mac user and you're thinking about becoming a Mac user, then this is this is something that you can look into. Do yourself a favor if you're curious. You can find these yourself out there or just tweet me and I'll find you the information because I researched it all. Go look at the benchmarks for the baseline M1 MacBook Air compared to the equivalent Intel uh, MacBook Airs, and it just smokes them. It smokes MacBook Pros. It smokes things with i9 processors that Apple's putting out right now. The M1 Silicon, very, very impressive. You can find some really interesting breakdowns on like Ars Technica, The Verge, YouTube videos with your favorite tech bloggers and things like that on there. The benchmarks are super impressive. And for someone who has not used iOS, excuse me, Mac OS on a daily basis since they were a senior in high school, it's not too terribly hard dipping back into it because we sort of touched on it with the Windows redesign stuff. While they've done a lot of changes behind the scenes, what you see on top of how you interact with it is very similar to what you saw with OS X back in the day. Chris, senior in high school, that was 2018 for you, right? <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, <laughs> so I, I graduated class of 2003. So we're talking 2002, 2003 From was the last time I used this. <laughs> I did actually do video editing classes in my high school as an elective using Final Cut Pro on iMacs back in the day in there. So I was actually fairly capable with Mac OS and doing video editing on the iMac. And I was actually doing Java development on iMacs as an elective in high school, too. So it's been many, many years since I dabbled in the world of Mac OS, but it's it's not too daunting going back into it. Well, thank you for talking about that, Chris. Greatly appreciate that. We look forward to your full review. SP, what did you get up to over the last couple of weeks? Well, like Chris, he had three categories. I have four categories and a bonus fit, but I'll be really brief throughout it all. First of all, I watched the Mandalorian season two finale. Like Chris, I was discussing it on the Gonna Geek Discord server, which you can find at gonnageek.com slash discord. I have discovered I have a problem with predestiny. I, I really do. and. 
I won't get into it. I'll stay spoiler free, but kind of turn me off on Star Wars, at least where the whole universe is right now. Consequently, I was in the middle of watching The Clone Wars, which I still am. I think when we recorded, I just slipped into season three. I made it all the way into the middle of season six. It has seven seasons, so I'm almost done with it. And it kind of took a little, just me watching the last bit of The Mandalorian kind of took a little bit out of the joy of watching The Clone Wars for me because of that whole predestiny thing. If you want to talk to me about that in the future, uh, we can definitely do that. I did watch World, uh, World War, Wonder Woman 84 and 1984, um, amongst a, a few other things with uh, the, the girls. And that's what I watched. Sorry, Wonder Woman 1984. Not familiar. Haven't seen that around here. Sorry. Yeah. Okay. Right. right. <laughs> so some of the tech gifts I received, I actually got gift cards from Best Buy and I requested it because I wanted to buy a Apple Watch, which I just showed on the screen with the lock screen. So Apple Watch 6, I got not the SE, but the 6. I'd been using when I was exercising uh, Apple Watch 3. Yes, I still have my nervous system damage and, and yes, it, it hurts, but I really enjoy the biometrics that this gives you, the blood oxygen level that it gives you or the Spock level that it gives you, as well as the heart rate. I, I'm AARP age, guys. I, I got to think about that sort of stuff. The Spock level? Is that what you said? Yeah, that's right. Uh, we'll get into that probably in a later segment. <laughs> Someone I do, gift that, please. <laughs> I, I do like the Milanese. I don't even know how to say it. Uh, metal bands. So I got some cheap knockoff ones off of uh, Amazon. And that's what I'm using because the real one is like $100. And it, it works just fine. So I got that. I did have a big huge debacle in actually redeeming the gift cards because in my haste to get the gift cards done, I rubbed off the numbers on the back of the gift cards, which then I had to go into the store versus doing it on my computer, which was a problem because of price matching. They find that all I did that. I bought it a week ago. It finally got delivered over the weekend. And then just today I got the you're approved for the price match and we're sending the check back to you sort of thing. So good on Best Buy for honoring the price match thing. I got it for $390 for a Apple Watch 6 44 millimeters. That's awesome. I didn't get the Nike version, just got the regular version. So I'll give more on my experience with that, but I do really enjoy it. I like the battery life. I like the bigger face. I, there's a lot about it that I like. Now, something that Steven wanted me to show on the screen right now, and it's going to be impossible for me to actually show this whole thing, but the one of my girls got me this, I want to say lithograph, but it's, it's a wooden plaque basically of tattooing. So uh, a, a print on, on wood and it's the story of Tatooine in Star Wars. Now, it doesn't have the latest season of Mandalorian stuff on here, but you know, she saw this and she's like, I got to get this for SP. And I'm glad she did because between episode nine, which came out last holiday season and the Mandalorian, there's just so much back to Tatooine and there's jokes about it. And there, there's whole discussion about there's so many planets. Why do we continually have to go back to Tatooine? It's just, it is what it is with Star Wars. And, and I'm, even though I'm turned off on Star Wars, but what, what I saw in the predestiny, that print is amazing. And I'm so glad she got it for me. It's going to be hung up here in the office uh, once I clean up a little bit and I'm able to get it up. So that was awesome. 
Now, gifts for me, I know Stephen's going to talk a little bit about it, so I'm just going to briefly cover it. I got it because he brought it up. <laughs> I got myself a Kindle Paperwhite, <gasps> and I got the, uh, I, I don't know what this is, the burgundy, I guess, leather case for it. And Fancy. I had been poo-pooing this for quite some time, <laughs> but I, just because I've got an iPad mini, why, yeah. why do I need this? Right? Uh, so much yeah. better on there, though. Yes. It, yeah. Reading books is so much better yeah. on there. Now, the iPad mini is great for mini stuff. And I, I do want to, now that I have this, I do want to increase to an iPad Pro later on. But uh, yes, that I can't believe it took me this long to get a uh, Kindle Paperwhite. And it was a gift for me. And as soon as I brought it in the house, there were, I just, my, my older daughter just loves to read books. And she has like 10 bookcases in her small apartment, just full floor to ceiling of books. And she did have an older version. I want to say a third generation. This is the 10th generation, by the way, it's the current generation, but she had like a third generation paperweight and the way the lighting was on it, it wasn't all that great. This is amazing. And she saw it and she's like, I want one. Like everybody around, it's like, I want one now. And it's like, okay, well, how much is it? And well, I got it on sale because, you know, Black Friday and stuff. And they're like, oh, so they're all jealous and they're going to go, do that. Um, I did get uh, Apple Watch charger now. Uh, I, I do like to track my sleep, so I have the watch on at night. Now I got this. It, there's no brand on this. It's just like a Chinese company that I can't pronounce, and it's just a bunch of letters actually. But it is a just a power bank, but you can charge your watch on it. And so I could go to work because I can't watch, wear the watch at work. I can go to work, take this, leave the watch on the charger when I go into work and I'm able to wear the watch when I come out. So this is pretty cool to have. I'm glad I got it. And like I said, there's no brand. Uh, I can link an actual Amazon link out there for it, but that was great. I also bought, but haven't received a Withings Body Plus Smart Scale. It's coming in the mail in a couple of days or hopefully in a couple of days, you know, with shipping and holiday time frame now you never know but i got that so that's like a smart device i also got an extra ring indoor camera and that's actually changed my mind about uh distributed cameras and subscriptions with uh security cameras i'm actually thinking it's it's not such a bad idea anymore i still think wired cameras with a local recording is the way to go but if you just don't have that option or you don't want to spend months and months of stringing cable, Cat5 cable everywhere or whatever. Uh, the, the, um, the ring camera system or any camera system like that is, is a doable option, especially for those that are less tech adapt. So I, I like that. Now, tech gifts given, I, I have to uh, credit Chris for this because a lot of my decisions on the gifts were because Chris had gotten his MacBook Air, the M1 chip. So the... Jessica, the older daughter, she wanted a new MacBook. She wanted a new laptop. I had been trying to save her old laptop and it just didn't, just didn't work. So she asked everybody to give her a present in a Apple gift card so that she can put it towards a new MacBook. She really just wanted a MacBook. So everybody gave her gift cards instead of the gifts that we were going to give her. And then after we opened all her presents, i.e. I, her gift cards, she went ahead and she, with me helping her, ordered a MacBook Air M1 chip, 16 gigabytes of RAM, one terabyte of memory, space gray. 
just to, I just put that in there to make Chris a little jealous. So she ordered that just a couple of days ago. It doesn't come in until February 10th. Mm-hmm. They're tough to find right now. You can sometimes, you can find them in stock in some places, but it, that's only the baseline ones. And the way you spec that out, those aren't the ones you can go find at an Apple store or a Best Buy on, on hand. So it's a long wait. The, the other daughter has one that was from Best Buy. It was in 2019, a MacBook Air version. So it's not the good M1 chip or anything. But yeah, it, it was one of the, the lower spec ones that was available at the time from Best Buy is why we got it. But uh, they apparently just love them. So go on. And because of that, when a sale came along with slick deals, because I know these girls, I know they're not technically adept. I know, I know they just want to use everything that they have, right? So I went ahead when there was a sale, and Chris, you might be jealous of this. I don't know. I got a Cal Digital TS3 Plus dock station, Thunderbolt dock station. And I got one for both the girls. So they're going to have this, which is important because the MacBook Air only has two Thunderbolt connections. They're Thunderbolt 4, but it only has two. So this dock which I've done research on is like the best dock that's available today. It won't be the best dock that's available in the future, but so many USB ports, there's a DVI port there for another monitor. You got an ethernet cable port in there. You got an SD card in there. You can actually put corded headphones in. And yeah, so th this thing, it hooks up to the, uh, the, the Thunderbolt for the USB-C on it, but yeah, these are sweet and I'm glad that I got it. But you have to plug it in. So the power cord on this thing is probably bigger than the MacBook Air itself. Probably. Yeah. yeah. So one thing to keep in mind if you got one of the MacBook M1s or any of the M1 processors, you can only have one external display plugged in. It does not allow for dual external displays currently. So if your workflow right now is you have like two monitors on your desk plus the display on your laptop, it does not work with M1 right now. You only get one display. Yeah, so that, that dock station only has one DVI port okay. on it. And then as a bonus, just today, my microwave literally blew up. There was lightning, like Thor was going all bejeebies on this thing. It uh, was quite the uh, display. And I got to the plug and ripped it out of the wall. I don't know how much I was irradiated, but that, that, that was a little bit exciting this morning as I was getting ready for work. So I did research microwaves and I know we've joked about it before, but I did look into the smart microwave options. And to be honest with you, they are very lacking right yeah. now, especially the countertop versions. because that's what I wanted a countertop version, not, not the, uh, mount above the, the stove version. And so I didn't get a smart version, but I did order one and I think I did try to source one locally of what I wanted and they just didn't have any. So I did have to order it. And so I'm going to be without a microwave for a week. I might get it before we podcast next time. Well, that segues perfectly to my list because I want to <laughs> kick it all off with a little quick rant that I've got here was I mentioned I had appliances coming. They came and it was a S show and I won't name names. I won't do any of the things yet. Yet. We'll see how it all works out in the Ooh, end. Uh, however, um, there was a whole delivery problem where they said they couldn't come up my stairs with the fridge. It was too wide. And I'm like, 
why. And anyways, they said they couldn't do it, but they'd come out the back stairs if I made sure that they were a little better than the condition they, they were. I live in a very rainy area. As you might imagine, the stairs you don't use while it's very rainy season, aren't in great shape. So they said, power wash them, put some extra treads on because it's bad right now. And we'll come up the back stairs there. I did that, ripped out some extra stuff in my house because I thought, well, I want this to come up one of the one of the two ways. My wife was very di- disappointed that the fridge could not come upstairs, the other appliances they got up. Uh, and I, I made sure there was multiple paths to come upstairs. And... Um, the second crew came and said, we don't know why they couldn't bring them up the first time. So, <laughs> yeah. Long story short, they they pretty much guessed that the first crew didn't want to do it for no good reason. So I could get into the reason. specifics about why I agree with them, but I won't. If you want to come ask me more on the Discord server, you can. Uh, but yeah, I ripped trim work off of my house just to make sure my wife was happy for Christmas. Uh, next thing that I want to mention with the smart appliances is I did actually look at the two smart appliances that I have because the microwave also was not smart, SPI, and I know exactly what you're talking about. The fridge is smart. The oven is smart. They both are really weird. On the one hand, the LG fridge is okay, um, but their API is apparently not that great. So a lot of developers have had troubles getting integration. Uh, Hubitat, for example, nobody's really made a working integration yet because apparently the API is really weird. But I've I've worked it in um, through Home Assistant because um, there is someone that made it there. But we'll see. I think the API is still very new uh, as far as making making it easy for people to use. And then the GE stove that I will mention, um, they have really one integration, and it's the if this then that integration for their API, which I do have um, an account with. And it mostly works. However, the timer function does not work. So like I wanted to make it so that when the uh, timer goes off, that it announces it, but it does not work with my stove for some stupid reason. Now, there was a firmware update for my stove and I've applied it and I haven't tried it since to see if it fixed it. But <laughs> I, I know, right? But, what world do we live in? <laughs> right? I just got the notification that there is an update. Your, your stove needs to be updated. It'll take 30 minutes, right? Did, make sure you don't unplug it while it's in the middle of its update or it won't work at all. <laughs> so I don't know if that fixed it, but at the time, the other functions work fine with this and that, but yeah, even though they have one integration, it did not fully work. So it's my smart appliance situation, I'll say it's not looking that good at this point, but the appliances <laughs> themselves seem pretty good, okay? Uh, however, I reserve the right to come back and rant a little later, and we'll leave it at that point. Uh, home Assistant, I did mention that. I thought I would start tinkering with that over the, the last little bit. My dad has been trying home assistant. He's been trying to get into smart stuff. I've been like, look, that's way too much. Try Hubitat Um, because he's not into this sort of stuff yet and he's just getting into Mm -hmm. it. And I'm like, do Hubitat. And so he started with Mm -hmm. that and he was having an issue. And I'm like, I know I can fix this. So I installed it and tried it and then have been tinkering more with it since. There's pros, there's cons. It's pretty much exactly what I thought, which is that there is a lot of room to grow with home assistant unfortunately lots of manual things 
I don't know that someone who doesn't do coding stuff at some level like me with websites could easily get into it. They are improving the user interface, the GUI, but there is so, so much of it right now that still is manual. Um, I'm I'm not sold on it, uh, but I, I am having fun tinkering. It's, you know, I've used Hubitat quite a bit. I've done some pretty difficult things with Hubitat and had some pretty complex automations with Hubitat. And so I'm just looking at Home Assistant now just as the new hobby tinker for me as well. Uh, but I'll probably come back and do a segment on that as well because lots is still aggravating me about Home Assistant. I decided to install a smart doorbell. Uh, I did purchase this back in the Black Friday timeline and then thought I would install that. It was a pretty inexpensive doorbell made by a company called EasyViz. Now you're probably looking at it and you're going, EasyViz, Steven, that's phoning home probably to a foreign country, to which I'll remind you I'm Canadian and I'm Canadian and the alternatives that we often talk about are not phoning home to Canada. And I'll leave it at that without getting too much into other discussions on that. And then second, I will also let you know that the reason I bought this doorbell was because I probably am not going to use the online functions and it had the ability to tie into my existing offline security system, which is why I did it. So it's currently blocked from the internet. I might at some point get gutsy and re-enable those online features, but at the moment, I just wanted a camera on that side to give me better angles if someone decides to come and do something. So that's kind of where I'm at at the moment. That would be me. He's worried yeah, about Yeah, I am. I'm very worried about him licking my handle. Uh, no, I just left a flaming bag of dog dew on your back porch. Fair enough. After he licked it. <laughs> the, the, the bag or the poo? Both. <laughs> Gross. Ugh. I may re-enable those features. We'll see here. Uh, the next thing that I want to quickly mention here is that I did some 3D prints. Got some time. It was nice to have some time to do a, different, a couple different projects. Some for me. And I even did one for uh, my in-laws who received a gift. It was a weather station, but the angle wasn't right with the bra bracket and they really liked the look. So I, I printed a little bit of a, a riser for it so that it's nice and secure and it's at the right angle. So I really like using the 3D printer for practical things like that. And some quick Christmas gifts that I want to mention. I'm continuing the security camera obsession. Got an even better security camera um, to add to the array of security cameras. Yes, I have an addiction. I also did uh, expand my Unify network. I'm replacing one of my wired switches with a uh, Unify wired switch. So it's more in the Ubiquiti Unify uh, infrastructure. Continue that. I also do have a smart garage door opener now. Um, so I'm into that. Got a Zeus multi relay, which is a Z-Wave relay that ties in there. It's a neat little relay. I'll probably also talk about that at some point, but it potentially could do three garage doors with one device. It's uh, pretty neat. And of course, the uh, Kindle Paperwhite, as SP mentioned. I don't really have much else to add there than what SP said, but I was 100% with him for a long time years ago about, well, tablets are cheaper, but then I saw the Paperwhite. And, and truthfully, I've been inspired by my son, who is a huge reader, to get back into reading. And so... Um, I, I don't want books, though. And I had seen the paper white and Chris had also talked highly about it. And I'm like, yeah, I got to have this over a tablet. So much better on the eyes. So much better than a tablet. 
You guys do know we're paper white pals now. Right? We are all three of us paper mm-hmm. white pals. All three of us. Yep. Yeah. I mean, mine's like Gen Seven though, so I'm not as cool as you guys. But <laughs> well, that's one okay. thing I didn't. Yeah, one thing I didn't talk about is so light, even compared to the iPad Mini. It's, yeah. it's so small and light, even with the case on it. It's amazing. I I really enjoy it. Yeah, I I highly highly recommend them if you're looking Steven, to read digitally. Are you running yours nude still? I still am running mine new. No case oh, yet. I'm I oh, might get one at some point, but my. at the moment I'm using it around the house, so I'm running at nude. Have you taken the ads off yours yet? I didn't have ads on the mine that I saw. Oh, okay. Well, that's cool. I took them off because it was just annoying me, and hmm. it was slowing the thing down too. After I took them off, the thing amazingly sped up so yeah might be a configuration thing between amazon canada and amazon us there might be some legal reasons they couldn't um and last thing i want to just give a shout out to with the christmas gift wise is my kids got me a couple cool mugs they're those ones that change when they heat up one of them was uh star wars with lightsabers a whole bunch of different character lightsabers with their names and the lightsabers are there when it's hot and then they go away as it cools down and then a cool little super mario mug as well um and whenever i filled it up i always go to my kids i go hey look i'm loading the game and they they get a laugh out of that (laughs) and last thing that i want to mention right here right now i finally did it i've been saying it for years i finally watched die hard i've never seen die hard in my life nice finally watched it uh, a few days ago and not only have I watched it, I've watched one through three. So I'm continuing on probably next weekend and I'll finish the series at some point. But uh, I have to say, I thought Die Hard 2 was really entertaining because it's so terrible. Like, I legitimately think <laughs> it's terrible acting. It's terrible. Like, you you see what they did there. They're like, Die Hard 1 was, was cool. Let's try to make this better. And they failed, in my opinion, at it. I actually think Die Hard 3 is better than Die Hard 2. Have you ever seen Airport 77? No. You probably should see Airport 77 now that you've seen Die Hard 2, because there's a lot that you're missing when Die Hard 2 if you haven't seen Airport 77. (laughs) Okay. well, uh, anyways, I I enjoyed finally seeing it and it might have to become an annual tradition for me. I can see why people classify it as the Christmas movie. I can. We were watching Harry Potter and we were like, oh, Snape. And I go, yeah, yeah, they they were. Yeah, they they were like, oh, he's no longer with us. No, no, he's no longer with us. And they're like, really? And like, yeah, he's been around for a while. Die Hard. Yeah, he was Hans Gruber and Die Hard. And they're like, well, that wasn't that long ago. Really? Really? <laughs> you guys gave me the 25th anniversary of Die Hard the other day. <laughs> Alan Rickman has a huge IMDb filmography. He does. Too. The dude yeah. did all sorts of different stuff. Varieties of different things. He went from doing like Kevin Smith things to Die Hard to Harry Potter. I mean, he just did whatever seemed like an interest in him. He was perfect in Harry Potter too. It's, it's like Hans Gruber and Harry Potter. It's so cool. It's oh, yeah. I I miss Alan Rickman at Galaxy Quest. I I just miss him a lot. So that was the summary of my couple of weeks there. Yes, there were some other things in between, but as far as the activities go, a bunch of things fell off my list when I spent three bloody days or more. Actually, it was more than that. Dealing with that appliance situation. It was a lot more. um, Hit me up in Discord if you want to hear the details. I got to say, it was entertaining for me to watch. I mean, I commiserated as a homeowner. (laughs) I commiserated, but it was like... Wow. He was talking about the stuff that he had to do to his outside stairs. And I'm like, you know, actually, that's stuff that he should probably do anyway, but not this time of year. No. And then, then when he got inside the house and started 
you know, with a chainsaw, you know, it, I, I won't get into it, but it, it, it was like, oh, I've been there. Not around Christmas, but I've been there. If you saw the disappointment in my wife's face, you would have known exactly why I was making sure it was coming up that second trip. I was happening. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, thanks, everybody, for checking out our first episode of 2021. We hope you come back next week for the next episode of The Gunna Geek Show. Please check out all of the awesome content on The Gunna Geek network including all things good nerdy where you can find chris farrell as well as legends of shield uh, and better podcasting where you can find sp so for episode number 360 of the official geek.com show i'm stephen john drew saying 2021 it's here and so far it's still as crappy as 2020 msp saying 2021's got to be better than 2020 I'm Chris, and I am the Senate. What a disappointment. <gasps> that was, he's Yoda! That's a, no, he's not Yoda. No. He would have said it backwards. That's right. Bye. Senate I am! <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>checking out another episode of the official gunnageek.com show if you like the show please give us a five-star review in apple Podcasts or a thumbs up on youtube you can always join us for our live recording sessions which stream mondays at 8 45 p.m eastern at www.geeks.live and remember you can find our full back catalog at gunnageek.com forward slash show if you're itching for more geeky content, check out other shows on gunnageeknetwork.com. Voice work was by Emily Prokop of the Story Behind podcast. That's it for this episode. We hope to see you back again next week.